BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Christy Stower of Telemarine in Victoria, Australia. Christy will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Sonia Sells. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit, Season 5, Episode 17, Mean. They're us, Casey. Our sisters, our daughters, our high school girlfriends. No one wants to believe. No, they're monsters. They're mean, vicious little girls who think they can do whatever they want. And up until now, they've gotten away with it. But not anymore. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Never been happier to be here, Kevin. Because you love this episode. So excited to talk about it. Well, we are so happy to have back our returning guest. It's Sonia Sells. Hi, Sonia. Hello. So happy to be here as always. I adore you both. This is a great episode. Let's go. <laughs> oh, I know, right? You know, I don't think we ever asked, what, how did you get into Law & Order? What is your relationship with this elite um, squad? So I distinctly remember being a child and coming home from a school dance. Like, I always had very macabre interests, like, my whole life. Um, from a school dance. Oh, from a all school right. dance. And uh, my dad had it on. And I remember being like, what is this show? Like, I cannot believe that they're going there like this is like macabre but also like adult content and i was like this is fascinating and i've just been hooked ever since yeah it's network tv and we're talking about semen (laughs) (laughs) non-consensual semen non-consensual semen (laughs) sonia of all the franchises which two cops are your favorite detective team Favorite Law and Order detective team. Oh, God, it's evolved so much over time. Really? Okay. Like, I feel like I, you know, I think the first time I was on, I said Finn and Munch, and I probably stick to that. But who's second place now? You know, honestly, my answer might be um, organized crime now. Mm. Okay. Like, the organized crime team altogether. Like, you I like love. Like, salute. Honestly, she's grown on me. She started out a little like not. I'm not like the other girls, but, you know, (laughs) she's growing on me. 
<laughs> well, that's a first. I'll give you that's a first. Yes. Someone had to do it. Someone had to break that seal. Someone had to break that seal. <laughs> I, no one is more surprised than me. than the. I think like because the last time I was on, I talked about it and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I think I might keep watching. And now I'm like, damn, best theme song, best interpersonal dynamics. Like, I just. Coolest office. Now. Coolest office. <laughs> I have. Yeah, it's super cool office. Like, what is taxpayers going to be so pissed when they really see that? <laughs> I I have a bit of trivia about the theme song to mm. uh, Organized Crime. Of course. It is the same theme song, same version of the Law & Order theme that they used for Trial by Jury. Really? Oh! Yes. Didn't even bother adding a we new... just recycled the theme? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the theme song was the best thing about Trial by Jury. Yeah, I mean, it's lasted longer now, right, than than Trial by Jury ever did. So, like, let's just recycle this because yeah. no one will remember it? They could have just put in, like, a French horn or... A... <laughs> and it's so funny because I feel like I was like, damn, this is, like, so current. Like, they've, like, really updated, yeah. you know, but nope. no. <laughs> nope, nope. The thing I don't get is when they brought back Law & Order, this opening sequence is primarily the same, but there's a couple of shot-for-shot replacements where, like... The one that we know of, like the guy holding the newspaper in front of his face, that's a new photo. And the one with the, with the high shot in the um, the courtroom where somebody's pointing across the room, that's a completely different person. Huh. I think huh. it's a woman because I see crazy white shoes. That's about as like committed to diverse representation as they feel like getting on that particular iteration of the franchise. Uh, yeah. I think they probably lost the, the copyrights to those photos. And they're like, fuck <laughs> it, we're just going to stage them. Do they, they still have the headline that says molestation that goes across the Oh, screen? that's SVU. They've had that forever. <laughs> SVU only. That's, yeah. <laughs> molestation. Tell you, that's a lot of column inches to use the word molestation. molestation. Yeah. Well, you got to grab them. You got to grab people when they walk by the newsstand, right? Yeah, fucking New York Post. If you can read and you're curious as to what the show is about, there's a big clue in the title if there sequence. any doubts. People are like coming home from their school dance like, what is this? <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Special Victims Unit Season 5, Episode 17, Mean. Well, the Sullivans have a lot of problems. First of all, their car is being towed for parking in front of a fire hydrant. And second, their daughter Emily is dead inside the trunk. It's hard to say with the cold, but I'd say she's been dead at least five hours. Stabbed and slashed with a six-inch, very dull, straight blade. I'm not sure what caused the smaller cuts. There's at least a hundred of them. These are cigarette burns plus multiple contusions and head trauma. Everything inflicted before she died? Probably. Hands and feet were duct taped so that she couldn't fight back. Benson and Stabler learn Emily was supposed to be at a sleepover with her friends Andrea, Brittany, and Paige. The girl said they covered for Emily because she had a big date in the city. She was crushing on aspiring actor Lucas, who was on set the night of the murder. Text messages on Emily's phone show she's been bullying Agnes, an overweight classmate who says, in the saddest way possible, fuck that bitch, I'm glad she's dead. (laughs) Later that day, Brittany is attacked by Agnes's brother. He tells Elliot that Brittany was texting locker room photos of Agnes. Brittany tells Olivia she did it just to get back at Agnes, who obviously killed Emily. With all these kids and parents with motives to kill, preliminary results from the lab show that there was bleach blonde hairs found under the duct tape, which points to the mean girls in her friend group. All right, I still don't get the economy of New York City. We start with two parking attendants and the officers talking about 
whether or not she wants to get a million-dollar condo? Yes. I'm just saying it's not real convenient for me to pay a mill for an alcove studio. Got a doorman, though, right? Doorman can kiss my ass. Keep the damn door shut unless you are paying the electric bill. Because that is the economy of New York City. (laughs) (laughs) That's city employee salary, man. Bonuses, overtime. Yeah, yeah, that's that's literally it's what like it I takes. got called out early for this car. Yes, but she did say she wants, she wants the doorman to kiss my ass. Like she doesn't need that. She doesn't want it. She doesn't want to have expositional dialogue with some dude outside hosing the sidewalk every day. <laughs> right. So she wants she'd she'd be okay with the doorman, but it's just too wasteful. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Especially as a woman, uh, potentially living alone. We don't know her living situation, but like you know, as a woman, nothing is more you know, infuriating than the thought of someone guarding the door. (laughs) I don't know if I can let you in, Mr. DoorDash. (laughs) (laughs) So these bitches, I can't. All right. You can immediately tell that they're trouble because Andrea is wearing a sweater with a big A on it, like Laverne from Laverne and Shirley. Listen, listen, I was, so let me start by saying that I was a freshman in high school when this episode came out. Mm -hmm. So when I saw the sweater, I was like immediately transported back to a very specific fashion moment we were all trying to live. You were like, where did she get it? Monograms (laughs) were a thing, um, like those sweaters. Oh my God. Fun fact. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. When I got married to my first husband and my name became Lavoy, I immediately started buying, as you know, everything in TJ Maxx that has the RL Ralph Lauren like initials yes. on them. Still do to this day. And I'm not gonna say it's not one of the reasons I haven't changed my last name to Flynn. <laughs> But it's not not one of the reasons I haven't changed my last name to Flynn. I love that. There's a bunch of just merch in TJ Maxx with my monogram right on it, and that Period. shit slaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody else notice that when they went to the victim's home, the dad like didn't even know she was dead? Right? He thought maybe mm-hmm. like she was still at the sleepover or whatever. But then they went directly to the school, and the principal was like. Everybody's grieving because she's dead. <laughs> you know, high school, How? I guess like world, word travels fast, but also the killers went to that high school. So. Yeah, yes. three of them already knew. So right. Yeah. People like, knew. She's dead. It reminds me of the scene from A Christmas Story where they come back from recess and the, and the teacher's like, where's Flick? And he's like, Flick? Who's Flick? <laughs> <laughs> he stuck with his tongue to the uh, pole. Yes. Yeah. So we hear Emily has a skeevy 20-something actor boyfriend who slips her an autographed headshot. That is so hot. <laughs> oh, hot. It's him, Lucas Ian Croft. What is he, an actor? Oh, wait, do you think it was the real actor's headshot, or do you think he auditioned and they said, we need you to take another headshot? <laughs> Could you imagine they, like, made him do a whole other shoot, probably at his own expense? It's <laughs> like... Sorry, we need fresh headshots. Yeah, it's a union thing. We can't have your photo. But then he's like, can I, I have it and use it, please, for my next audition? <laughs> yes, in lieu of pay. Here you but go. either way, it works. He either gets a new cool headshot or his headshot just got out in front of like millions of people, right? right? Yeah. Either way, he wins. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell he won because look at his thriving career to this day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, he had a pretty good career in this episode. We find him on the set of a musical Fruit of the Loom commercial <laughs> yes, as the grape, which is obviously the second most ridiculous fruit in that ensemble. It's the balls. It's it's a lot of balls. You can't spell 
rape without grape. I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> there wasn't even in my notes that was on the fly. I'm like, you can't, I'm just like, you can't have grape smugglers without the grapes. Well, right? oh my goodness. <laughs> and the director's in the front. He's like, come on, banana. <laughs> no spaghetti arms. They kept going, even though they're yeah. like, he's being pulled out to be questioned on the side, probably in the view of the camera. Shooting your folks, you're going to have to walk around. We need to talk to the grapes. Copy that. Lucas, visitors. Please, come on down. Just keep rolling. Just, just keep rolling. Okay. None of the viewers will notice that in this commercial that the grapes were just hauled off by the cops in the middle of the ad. We'll fix it in post. (laughs) Someday on the show, Kevin will tell the story of the live shot he was taping during the 6 p.m. news when he got pulled away by the cops. State police. (laughs) And I had to say, this officer is just helping me get to a safe area. <laughs> but anyway, it was like roll that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> so Emily's cell phone was missing and they get a ping from a call to a 900 sex phone line. Oh my God. Made from a comic book store. And they walk in and they can hear the kid on the phone talking to the sex operator. And he says, you look like Kathleen Turner. So you look like Kathleen Turner, huh? Like when she was skinny. Yeah, that's so hot. When she was skinny? That's so hot. Oh, my God. What a low blow. This fat phobia is seeping through every inch of this episode. It's incredible. (laughs) It's incredible. And even the person that they sort of, like, label as, like, the quote-unquote fat person isn't even, like... I mean, honestly, yeah, that's, oh boy, like, like it's it's unbelievable, and also like being fat is like the like in 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 the SV universe, it's like the worst thing you can be besides being a quote hooker. Yes, like it's like it's yeah. one of the worst things you can be, and mm. like in this episode, it's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. Well, this guy has a thing for uh, Kathleen Turner. Talk about romancing the bone. <laughs> ah! All right, let's look at our cast. We have a couple of Hey, It's That Girls. Hey, it's that girl. Can you name the actress playing attorney, defense attorney Lynn Ruffle? Yes. Go ahead, Rebecca. That's Molly Dodd, a.k.a. Blair Brown. We have expert testimony that will amply illustrate the profound effect that small groups have on the individual. Blair Brown, three Law & Order appearances, Emmy-nominated five times for The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. Yes. Uh, she had roles as uh, inmate Judy King in yes. Orange is the New Black. That's where I know her. Yeah. because was- you're young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was uh, on Fringe and she had a Golden Globe nomination as John Belushi's love interest in Continental Divide huh. back in 81. Hmm. Okay. I'm not that old. You're not that old. Okay. <laughs> Esquire magazine called her, quote, the thinking man's bombshell. Ew. Hmm. Uh, That's disgusting. Yeah. What a backhanded compliment. Wow. Yeah. They're like, hmm, I didn't think she was pretty until I thought about it. <laughs> well, like, I feel like that's still code for like, you're ugly, but I'm still attracted to you. Yes. Yeah. I need to justify it somehow. Yeah, like you're you're pretty, but only if I'm smart enough to notice. <laughs> Straight. <laughs> it's really a compliment about me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're shit, but actually you aren't because I'm smart. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. So who's playing mean girl Brittany? Everybody knows that you spoke to her today because she did it, didn't she? She did it. She killed Emily. She killed my best friend. Okay, so here's what's funny. Yeah. I only know who she is from this episode. 
Okay. I swear to God, her name's Kelly Garner. Yeah. And I only know that because I've seen this episode so many times and <laughs> I've seen her name, her name in, in the, the credits, credits of this very ah. episode. I know she's been in other things because she's well, definitely like a hey, it's that girl, right? Yeah, yeah let me tell totally. you about it. She was Marilyn in The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe. Okay. And she yeah. was tracks. she was the real girl in the movie Lars, Lars and the Real and Girl. girl. Right, right, right. Okay. Right, right. That makes sense. Yes. But I literally know her from this episode. Okay. okay. <laughs> to me, that's why she's famous. Like yes. she's famous for this movie web ranked her number eight as the best Marilyn Monroe performances. Wow. For that one. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, Mira Sovino okay. I think, came number one. And there was Ashley. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of ones there. Marilyn Monroe, by the way, has a perfect five star rating on the foot fetish site. Wiki <laughs> Your favorite. Yeah. And Kelly only has four and a half stars. Oh, Kelly. So that's that's what that's what really hindered her ability to play Marilyn. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, she yeah. really, yes, if there was a little more, I don't know, big Only toe, her feet were better. I, yes, I don't know. right. <laughs> How about the actress playing Andrea, the one with the big A on her sweater? <laughs> I thought that we were just going to talk to her about how she wasn't being a good friend. The only reason I set it up was because it was my birthday. She is from John Tucker Must Die, but do I know her name? That's Ariel Cabell. She'd get the lead in NBC's Lincoln, Ballers, Midnight Texas, and she's now on Fox's 911. Oh, and Ballers, was she the sports agent lady? I don't know. I, I can't think remember that's where that. I remember her from. Honestly, that would have been my guess, even if like yes. even if yeah. I didn't know specifically. That I'd was that like, short-lived show with The Rock on it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we oh, watched that. Wasn't that wasn't short-lived, but yeah, yeah. Well, short-lived for us. Short-lived, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> uh, she also played Gia Matteo in Fifty Shades Freed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I watched all those stupid movies. I'm not going to lie. Uh, hell yeah. I know it was a great week for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she was ranked number 54 in the 100 Sexiest Women of 2008 in the Croatian version of FHM magazine. Good for her. You came in 99th in great. the uh, Hungarian version of Maxim. Oh, I, I so don't know. Proud. So, so proud. proud of you. So proud. <laughs> yeah. Five stars on WikiFeed. Okay, uh, did you catch who's playing the expert witness, Dr. Sofer? No. No. Intense situations create intense solidarity. Adolescents are arguably under years of stress, physiologically, emotionally, hormonally. That's Linda Emond, 13 Law & Order appearances, eight times on SVU. Rebecca, you will remember her as Candace, the mother on Hulu's The Patient. Really? Yeah. I did not recognize her from that. That's mm. wild. Yeah. Good for her. What range? Yeah. Zero stars on WikiFeed. Oh. <laughs> we do have a Hey, It's That Guy. Yeah, we do. Hey, it's that guy. Can you tell me the name of the actor playing young Troy? Yes. What's his name? Robert that is, Eiler. That is Robert Eiler. A.K.A. A.J. Soprano. Yeah. Sure is. <laughs> sure is. I want Brittany to admit what she did. What's that? She took pictures while Agnes was changing in the locker room. She sent them to anyone with a camera phone. Look for yourself. On my cell. In the bag on the desk. Rebecca, you don't even watch that show. I don't even show, watch yeah. The Sopranos. And I was like, that's AJ Soprano. AJ! <laughs> well, you saw him during the Super Bowl with Jamie Lynn Sigler in an ad for the electric Chevy Silverado. Mm. Uh, he's not just a little criminal on screen. In 2001, he was indicted for robbing two teens of $40. Really? While he was on The oh, Sopranos? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And James Gandolfini. So oh, I'm going to 
tell on myself right now. But um, <laughs> I had a little bit of a crush on him because I didn't watch Sopranos. I watched Sopranos as an adult and I'm like, wow, he was really annoying on that show. Yes. Yeah. I had a little bit of a crush on him because he had like a little bit of the bad boy thing going on. And mm-hmm. I was into it partially because of that. I know that James Gandolfini wrote a letter to the judge to help him out. And I you think it worked out. Judge. <laughs> it's like it worked out in his favor, but um, I, my it'd be, it'd be a terrible shame, Your Honor, if all of a sudden your trash didn't get picked up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I have been sadly following Robert Eiler's career ever since, which is um, not really much. But he had a podcast for a while with Jamie Lynn Siegler. It was very sweet. Oh, yeah, they're still yeah. friends. His his acting career is such that he uh, he retired from acting and he became a professional poker player. Wow, good mm-hmm. for him. Those mm-hmm. dudes make money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you know why he was on? He did two episodes of SVU. This one, and then like four or five years later, he did another one. Do you know why he says he did SVU? Why? Because why? he got called for jury duty twice and he got out of it by doing the episode. Really? Yeah, <laughs> that's what he claims. Yeah. I love that for him. That is such like a New York actor yeah. Like claim. Yeah. One in SVU, one on Mothership. But yeah, it's like, perfect. I'm sorry, Your Honor, but Dick now, Wolf is calling. Is he like, now I'm disqualified from being a juror because I've been on SVU. I know too much about the criminal justice right. system. I'm an expert. <laughs> I'm a legal expert. <laughs> That's if I ever get called to jury duty, I'm going to wear the sweatshirt, I think. Yeah, perfect. it doesn't work. The it sweatshirt, doesn't work. The sweatshirt you're wearing, which says executive producer. Dick Wolf. I was like, I've written five books about true crime and I do a podcast about true crime. And not only did I get picked for the jury, but I was the foreman. It does not work. Just <gasps> oh, FYI. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> the defendant is happy. You acquitted yeah, him. They yeah, they acquitted. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it even got his bloody axe back afterwards. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we have some repeat offenders. Repeat offender. Principal... Kilgore is played by Jason Kravitz yep. from The Practice. Yep. You have the school's full cooperation. Mm-hmm. Attorney Kessler is the late Ned Eisenberg. Since you can't prove intent, it'll be a short trial. And returning as Attorney Granger is David Thornton, a.k.a. Mr. Cindy Lopper. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Drop kidnapping. My client pleads guilty to man one and testifies against Barbie and Skipper. See? Reasonable. Do you know the guy who's playing the Taru technician? Did he look familiar? The guy who's working on the cell phone? No. You're in luck. They archive text messages 14 days. That's Jose Zunga. Uh, seven Law & Order franchise appearances for the trifecta. He had a recurring role on CSI. And more recently, he had roles in The Expanse. Hmm. Uh, Chicago PD, Madam Secretary, and on Rebecca's favorite all-time show, The Cosby Mysteries. Oh, God. Ew. <laughs> Why would you even say that? I hate you. I just wanted to make you uncomfortable. I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, so Cosby Mysteries, in 2007, his residuals from that went to zero for some reason. <laughs> huh. What ha- whatever happened? Whatever happened to him in that situation? I, uh, huh. Yeah. Uh, you bounce back. Do you know who's playing Andre, the tow truck driver? I, I mean, he has a name. Of, you would never know it, but the tow truck driver from the beginning. No. Is that blood? That's Elvis uh, Nolasco, my third favorite Elvis. You'd know him as Nat from Godfather of Harlem and American Crime. We would? Yeah, you would. He played Layla's dad in the football drama All-American, but he had to be recast during the pandemic because of COVID travel restrictions. Yeah. He couldn't get back into the U.S., so they recast him. They didn't think he would have the same emotional punch if he were on Zoom. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That'll do it. (laughs) Lastly, can you guess the, uh, the actor who's playing the very cold assistant medical examiner? 
No, the non-Tamaratuni uh, Tam- one? Yeah. Between 15 and 21. It's hard to say with the cold, but I'd say she's been dead at least five hours. That's Jake Robard, son of two-time Oscar winner Jason Robard. Really? Yeah. Nepo baby. Nepo baby. baby. <laughs> I know. Uh, he was also a narrator for the true crime show Hometown Homicide. Huh. Nice. It was a night unlike any other. Yeah. Um, in my hometown. In my hometown. <laughs> uh, he also has a very respectable two stars on Wikifeed. Ooh. <laughs> All right. So as we said, Emily's phone turns up. It's a pink flip phone. And remember, these are the days before iPhones and keyboards yes. on most phones, right? I remember. Thousands of them here. How'd you have time to do anything else? Mm, the trick is to memorize the keypad so you can text messages during class without looking at your phone. They called it a camera phone. Ooh, like I was there it. for this moment and I still was, it was very jarring. Kevin, at the beginning of our relationship, we were texting, you know, going 222-666. Right, right. That's how you would get the, the you know, the letters done, right? You go, if you if you wanted A, you press... Uh, number two once. Number two once. Yeah. If you wanted B, two twice, right? Like that. Uh, how did we live like savages in that way? <laughs> it was wild. Yeah. Phone quality, too. They were like, this picture of Agnes. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, yeah. The one pixel per inch thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the photos my mom takes with her iPad at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I think that's the tree. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you say, mom. <laughs> but that little keyboard that you do with, you know, punching the numbers. Uh, look, even the infinite monkeys theorem, the monkeys have typewriters, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So Stabler, who's always in touch with what the young people are up to, reads one of these texts. And the text says, Right, this stuff is very deep. Danny is so ten O's. Oh, cute. Ten O's, cute. Do you know how you get ten O's? Uh, It involves Michael B. Jordan and a Hitachi back massage. (laughs) (laughs) Very funny, very funny. Yeah, by the way, it says Danny's cute. They never check out who Danny is, right? Yeah. They never do. Nice job, Stabler. (laughs) (laughs) So the Mean Girls texts are sent to a a plus-sized classmate named Agnes, played by Lindsay Hollister. She used to pretend to be my friend for a week and use it against me. I gave her my cell phone number, and she started sending all these awful messages to me. How fat I was. How I should just kill myself because nobody liked me. At the end, she says the thing that you're never supposed to say to a cop is, I'm glad she's dead. I mean, she's honest. Yeah, well, I tell you, after all that stuff, I'm glad the bitch is dead, too. It's also not what the killer would ever say. Right, so. exactly. So she she knew she was good. What yeah. did she have to lose? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like what a three-year-old would say if you don't want them to think you're li- they're lying, but it's not what the actual <laughs> killer in a crime would say. I'm so glad <laughs> she's dead. Woof, so glad. So they hit the lab. And for once, the DNA is not instantly available, Mm. right? Coming out of the bat computer. like, And to narrow down to their perpetrator's gender, they learned that the scratches from the killer contained... It's nail polish and boy crush blush, also known as light pink. I'd say your killer's a female. Or metrosexual. A metrosexual. I audibly gasped. (laughs) Like, I've seen this episode so many times, and I guess not in a while, that I was just like, oh my... Yeah, it's like, you know what that was? It like that, that word just like had just come out and they're like, yeah, yeah let's, let's use it. I love when they self-insert slang. 
just like whatever was trending like a couple months prior. It's like, let's try to find a way to work it into this episode. That's right. We just learned that word on Oprah. So now let's use it on the show. We want to expand our demographic to uh, kids coming home from high school dances. (laughs) (laughs) The lab tech says that the color of the nail polish was boy crush blush. Of course Mm. it was. And she knows that because she happened to have the jar right there. How many jars of nail polish do they have hanging around that lab so they can start comparing? It's like when you go to the pedicurist, which I know you've done many times, Kevin, Mm -hmm. and you walk in and they're like, choose your color. And it's like the whole wall. They have that. They have that for evidence reasons. Yes, they have that. What is this like the cosmetics counter at Macy's? Yes. You walk in, you get sprayed with perfume. You're like, (laughs) motherfucker. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Now let's take a look at the second half. The detectives and Wong try to figure out why one of the friends might have wanted to kill Emily in such a brutal way. Boys are socialized to express their anger. Girls are socialized to be nice, and it's not nice to start a fight. Feelings gotta come out sometime. Often it's rumor spreading, ostracizing, or secret telling. In other words, don't tell your friend you're mad at her, just get everybody else to hate her. And in the extreme, I can see how a betrayal within the inner circle could incite violence. Question is, what was the betrayal? A classmate says Emily hooked up with Britney's boyfriend, Lucas, the aspiring actor. He tells Olivia and Elliot that the night of the murder, he bought beer for the three girls driving Emily's car, but they freaked out when he wanted to put the beer in the trunk. While interrogating the Queen Bees, Paige and Andrea say Britney went crazy, stabbing the victim and burning her with cigarettes. The motive? Jealousy over the boyfriend. Novak knows she can send psycho bitch Britney to jail, but she'll have a hard time proving basic bitches Paige and Andrea's intent without some kind of corroboration. She cuts a deal with the unrepentant killer to testify against the other girls. The defense attorneys make a good case that the friends were under Britney's influence. That's when Casey uses her encyclopedic knowledge of horoscopes and gemology to discover Andrea is wearing the class ring she stole from Emily. The two remaining mean girls turn on each other, and the jury convicts them in 15 minutes. But what will the writers do with the final two minutes of this episode? Stabler gets a call. There's a shooting at the school. When they arrive, yet another mean girl has been killed, this time by Agnes. She said that even after the Queen Bees went to jail for murder, the bullying would not stop, and it never would. So they bring in Wong. Bring in Wong. He's our own. And they ask him about how these girls could murder their friends. And Olivia says, Well, that's definitely been my experience. The people that have made me feel the worst were always my best friends. 
And then she rolls her whole damn head and looks at Stabler. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let me speak as a teen from this era. First of all, I just want to call bullshit on the fact that they were picking up beer. We absolutely would have used that man to get liquor. We're not drinking (laughs) beer. Beer makes you bloated. Anyway, the Wong stuff. So Wong, ironically, was wrong on a couple different accounts. Huh. It's not what the song said. <laughs> the song is wrong. That he tried to attribute it to like a psychosexual motive, which it just was like they were hiding the evidence with the clothes. That's why she was naked. Yeah, um, there's still no reason why SVU should have this case. But well, all right, right. I mean, for a variety. And why? Why are you still getting the call, Elliot? Like this is so far out of your jurisdiction. A school shooting is yeah. out of your jurisdiction. But then he like to say that they would use the peer counselors. Nobody was using peer counselors unless you were mandated by the school. Like nothing was nerdier than trying to go to one of your classmates with your problem. Right. Nobody used the peer counselors unless we were mandated. No, it's because that classmate was probably your problem. (laughs) (laughs) So the the investigation takes the detectives back to 23-year-old aspiring actor Lucas, and they accuse him of statutory rape, and he says, We didn't have sex. Brittany wouldn't do it. He's like, no, I didn't have sex with that teenager. Officer, I'm a seedless grape. (laughs) 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 But I do like when Olivia asks him, can you act like a prison inmate? (laughs) Got his ass. No. (laughs) So they just they can't just arrest the girls at home. They have to arrest her in the middle of a basketball game. Pep rally, motherfucker. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Why you do it? Hey, Sonobi, you're under arrest for the murder of Emily Sullivan. Brittany O'Malley and Andrea Kent, step down, please. We'll be used against Why? We can drag you out if you want. I want to know where they shot that because, like, they did not puss out on this. They had bleachers that were 100% filled with people. On both sides of the court in a real gymnasium, I saw a referee in the background. Do they arrange it so they go to this game and they're like, we've got a real halftime treat for you people. Uh, Chris Maloney and Mariska Hargitay will be here. That's actually Halftime might be extended three hours, but. That's actually probably what they did. I actually, that's actually a really, really good theory, right? Like That they filmed, like they just went to like a random school and just used a bunch of students as extras. They, they boomed in documentary type. They're just like, ah! <laughs> like we, we got to get this done in eight minutes. Like, eight let's minutes. get this scene done super quick. I'm sure they did it like after the game. They're like, you know, it's like, hey, I know it smells like sweat socks and BO, but stick around for network television. <laughs> Extra credit. So to convict Barbie and Skipper, Casey cuts a deal with the psychotic friend Brittany. Paige and Andrea are going to argue that they were under Brittany's influence and they didn't have control. And when Ashley is on the stand, Casey looks at her class ring and dials up all her Virgo traits and points out that the birthstone is wrong. You know who else had a September birthday, Andrea? Objection. Relevance. Overruled. Didn't Emily have a September birthday? I don't know. Emily had a class ring. It was engraved with her name. It was never found with her body. Your Honor, would you instruct the defendant to remove her ring? Hand it to me, Miss Kent. So Ashley wore the victim's ring to her murder trial. Yes. Unbelievable. With the name (laughs) of the murder victim engraved on the back. Yes. That's a new level of uh, criminal audacity. It's a class ring. Could she not get her own class ring? 
It's once again proving her love of monograms, though, right? Like it's, she's committing. She loves just, them. It's just supposed to be the through line because, like, all of a sudden it seemed like Casey had this gotcha, which you like is honestly a pretty solid gotcha. So they should have given a little bit more like dramatic reveal instead of just being like, oh, by the way, I noticed. Like, but maybe it's the monogram callback. I mean, the best audacity is Britney's audacity, just being like, yeah. So then we stabbed him, and then I burnt her. Who was it that cut Emily's skin with scissors over a hundred times? I did. And who brought a knife, and then later used it to cut Emily's throat? Me. And the cigarettes you went out to buy, you used those to burn Emily's skin, right? Right. It was incredible. Her testimony is incredible. I and loved it. And then we went for waffles. <laughs> Best line of the whole episode. Get the rooty tooty fresh and fruity. <laughs> it's funny because then, like, on the stand, like, they turn on each other. It's like, you took her Prada bag. Yes. Her blood stained Prada bag. <laughs> yes. I mean, those bags ain't cheap. So it's funny because this episode comes out around the time, I think, of the movie Mean Girls, right? Sure does. Two months before. Oh, okay. Shit. I know. Like Somebody got a screener. I guess. Like, I guess, like, Lauren Michaels and Dick Wolf were working in tandem, and this was, like, an elaborate promo setup. Or just everybody read Queen Bees and Wannabes and decided to do their own little spin on it. Stop trying to make murder happen. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to happen. What is it? We don't kill on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So at the end, they returned to the school where the shooting happened, and a different mean girl had written Agnes the pig squealed in pig's blood, and there's like a piglet hanging from the locker. I'm assuming that pig came from an unsecured science lab. Yes. Yeah, I would guess so. That's where you'd have to get that. But how much blood was in that little pig to write all that out in block letters? None. Because those piglets don't have 19 letters. No, they have formaldehyde in them. Everybody knows that. Yes. I was assuming that was paint. I thought it was paint. Blood? Paint? That was not a blood. I don't think think they cared if we knew. Thought about it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know know how we know they don't care? Because they refer to the, quote, Reginald Denny trial as if Reginald Denny was on trial when he was actually the victim in a case. Oh, yeah, that was (laughs) it. And I'm like, what Reginald Denny trial? I don't remember a Reginald Denny trial. I was like, Mm. they they, they don't care. They do Mm. not care Mm. about us at all. They don't think about us. They just assume we won't notice things that we do, in fact, notice and then write down and talk about on a podcast. Yeah, I wish somebody had gone and like had stolen a frog and be like, Emily croaked. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? 
more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. This episode is inspired by the brutal murder of 12-year-old Shanda Shear at the hands of four teenage girls in 1992. Shanda befriended 14-year-old Melinda Lovelace's girlfriend, which made her jealous. To get even, Lovelace enlisted the help of three mates. 15-year-olds Hope Rippey and Tony Lawrence tripped Shanda to ride in Laurie Tackett's car. But hiding in the back was Lovelace, armed with a knife. Lovelace tried to slit Shanda's throat, but the blade was too dull. They took turns stabbing her, then threw her in the trunk. The group thought Shanda was dead, but later heard her screams from the boot. Tackett stabbed her again. After driving to another location, Shanda sat up when the teens popped the trunk. Tackett and Lovelace then beat her for hours with a tyre iron. Shanda was still alive when they doused her with petrol and set her on fire. When Shanda's body was discovered, two of the accomplices confessed. To avoid the death penalty, all four of them took plea bargains. Tony Lawrence served nine years and Hope Rippey 15 before they paroled. Laurie Tackett completed a 26-year sentence in 2018. Melinda Lovelace was released in 2019. So you guys ready to laugh? No. I know, right? That is some dark shit. These people are out. Yeah, that was the part, because I've I've heard of this story, but I hadn't kept up with what they're up to now. And wow, those are Yeah, Melinda Lovelace, I believe, was sentenced to 60 years in prison and then was released, I think, after 19 or something. They all... None of them served their full sentence. Were they juveniles when they were um, convicted? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were 14 oh, years well, old. Oh, this is yeah. why. So, they, so yeah. you can't, yeah, you like getting, there, there's new laws about yeah. sending oh, they were juveniles. Oh, they were up for the death penalty. So yeah. <laughs> quite a jump. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, every time they think they have killed this girl, she sits up. She she's, wakes, she starts screaming again. She's resilient. Amazing. It reminds me, there was this Alfred Hitchcock movie, I forget, which was an early one in black and white, and there was a scene where, like this husband and wife are trying to kill a Nazi or something in their house. They stab him and that does and they like choke him. Like and that's how long, it was like it demonstrated like how hard it can be to actually kill a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this this is it. Is there something going on besides jealousy in this case? I'm also guessing that not unlike the Slender Man case, there's probably some mm-hmm. underlying mental health shit going on here with at least one of these kids. Yeah. Yes. Just guessing. I know that the real story was not involving like a bunch of rich girls. Like I'm pretty sure they were all like. They came from, yeah, yeah we'll say blue collar families yes. with a lot of trouble. These, these were Melinda's parents. According to Cruel Sacrifices, the book by Aphrodite Jones, Larry Loveless was a Vietnam vet who worked as a mailman until they learned he was bringing the mail home and burning it. Oh. Mm. He allegedly raped his wife at a swinger's orgy, and oh. then he had her gang-raped when she cut him off for sex. Oh, my God. Melinda uh. and her siblings often went hungry and ate at friends' houses. At one point, the parents swore off drinking and swinging and became deeply involved in their church and had someone— perform an exorcism on five-year-old Melinda oh my God. alone in a hotel room for five hours. So she was abused. She was a horrible victim of abuse. Yeah. By the way, at the murder trial, it was revealed that Larry Loveless abused his daughters and other children, and he was arrested, and he served 
five years after that. So, look, a general uh, observation, you guys are kind of hinting at it. It seems like in cases where women are committing savage violence, they share a common upbringing. Yeah, they were victims of violence. Yeah, this is actually true. I mean, statistically speaking, yeah. uh, women in prison either are convicted of crimes in which they actually didn't do much that's criminal. They are accessories in drug crimes right. or or they are the victims of abuse. And that's kind of what put them on the path to commit a criminal act. That's well, like also, statistically what shows. That is like what pissed me off about villainizing Agnes at the end. I mean, granted, she didn't come like, I mean, granted, it was a lot of class commentary and, you know, making monsters out of fat people, which has been a trope in media for forever. But I, I don't know, like they, you really had to just turn that girl into a violent criminal at the end because she had just had enough. Like nobody talked to a single teenage girl into the making of the show beyond like, what's some slang you use? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so the Sheer family obviously endured a lot. Shanda's father went into depression and drank himself to death oh six God. years later at age 53. That's Her mother, horrible. Jackie, started a program in 2012 that would donate service dogs to be trained by prison inmates. And the first dog she donated was to Melinda Loveless. Oh. And Mom donated a dog every year. Loveless continued training the dogs. And Jackie received criticism for doing anything for Loveless. And she said, it's my choice. If you don't let good things come from bad things, nothing gets better. Would you do anything to help the brutal killer of your child? I think that shows a tremendous amount of grace and empathy. Yeah. Uh -huh. I also think it shows that the mother understands that this, this kid was also a victim of like horrible circumstances and that prison in and of itself is not a, a curative mechanism, right? Yeah. But that programs in prison can be extremely helpful to people even who aren't getting out. So I think it shows a lot of grace, and I actually think that's actually a really uplifting story. Yeah, and I think she's doing a lot of it for herself as yeah. well, right? Yeah. You have to have a project, I feel like, in that situation because yeah. you don't want to be left alone with your thoughts. Forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for you mm. when yeah. you forgive. Well, like she said, she could have done what... Her husband did and drink herself to death or she could find a way moving forward to do something positive, you know, with her own life, with her daughter's memory and not sort of give into the the very easy way of just sort of giving up on life. Mm. So America tried to deal with this brutal crime the way it always does going on the Dr. Phil show. Of course, of course. Logically. Yeah. Shonda's mother and sister went on the show to discuss the case and little did they know that waiting backstage was Hope Rippy, one of the killers. Oh. And uh, they asked them, if the loved ones, if they wanted to confront her on camera. Oh my God, that piece of trash, Dr. Phil. I hate him so much. That man deserves the worst that life has to offer. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so after many on-camera tears, the Shears, you know, decided they would do it. And it went the way you exactly you would expect. There was anguish uncomfortable replies and then for some reason dr phil sold them protein powder and boner pills <laughs> sure he did as he does well, that's gonna do it for us we want to thank our guest sonia sell sonia where can our listeners follow you online so you can find me on twitter at sonia marie says i'm on there live 
tweeting my thoughts as a new parent and pop culture indulger. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? Uh, you can find me everywhere. Also following Sonia at Reb Lavoy. <laughs> and you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can tweet to us at Law and Order Pod and follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.